The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we're going to be having some Halloween fun today. And um, when I say that, I think to myself... You know, I don't know, five years ago, ten years ago, whenever it was that the world was, well, certainly before 9-11, we could start from there, whenever it was the world was a kinder, gentler, less scary place, I don't think I would have started off the show to where we're going to be talking about haunted by a haunted house, saying we're going to have some Halloween fun. Because it used to be once upon a time that ghosts and goblins and haunted houses and witches and all of the things that we associate with Halloween uh, and spirits and all of that, that, you know, it's gone beyond Halloween as well, but all of these things used to be the things that scared us. That was until Ebola and terrorism and some politics and the medical system and all these other things and the the, uh, uh, economics, the recession, all these other real things came into our lives. Not to say that uh, what we're going to be talking about here isn't real because certainly my guest thinks that they are. Um, And I don't have an opinion. I'm waiting waiting to hear more about it. But... Um, but, you know, it used to be that we would indulge in these things, um, you know, in dressing up uh, scary creatures, in going into haunted houses. Now, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of that this Halloween, but it's just so different now. It used to be that we would be, we would be more scared by these things, even to the extent that we knew that we were just playing and so on. Or, you know, for those of us who have done some... Um, investigation or experiencing of uh, spirits and, and so on, um, and I have done my share, um, you know, there can be something sort of scary about it, but still, even, even, even still, um, compared to the things that are like smacking us in the face, or as I wrote in the description of this show, at a time when Ebola and terror- terrorism is scaring the pants and other articles of clothing off of us, it's comforting to hear nostalgic stories of ghosts and witches and haunted houses and so on. So I don't know if you've thought about this before now, but it is a very different, it's a, it's a strange time to be having Halloween and focusing on these things at a time when, when the news is a lot scarier than ghosts and goblins. So without further ado, I will introduce my guest. His name is Bill Hall. He is the author of a new book called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on, on Lindley Street, which is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is where Bill was born and raised. And um, just to start off, 
um, poltergeist comes from the word poltern, which means in German to make sound or to rumble, and geist, which means ghost or spirit. And so it, it can be translated as noisy ghost or rumbly ghost. And um, what I find fascinating, Bill, is, the, you know, as a psychiatrist, what I find fascinating is how your experience with this real haunted house um, in your hometown, your backyard, um, really directed the course of your life. So I would like you to start by taking us back to 1974. Um, when you were a 10-year-old child minding your own business, <laughs> being a boy in Connecticut, uh, which was probably a fun time, and, um, and all of a sudden your life was totally disrupted. So t- why don't you start be- the day before the poltergeist happened? Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me on, first of all. So a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, when I saw Lindley Street like uh, most of the other people in, in Bridgeport, it was uh, a fascination. I, I can't tell you what I actually saw because I was only 10, but I remember it was on the news all the time. And because I didn't control the TV, unlike, uh, you know, my children did growing up mm-hmm. where there's a million TVs everywhere uh, and everybody had their own, but, you know, there I was the remote control. And, of course, Dad watched the news, and this was all over the news and in the newspaper and uh and i remember i was quite fascinated by it and i was kind of a curious child uh anyhow i was always interested in these kinds of things i grew up with uh in search of for those older folks not old because we're not old but uh the older folks who remember the tv show in search of and that's incredible you know in the 70s so i grew up with all those shows and was always fascinated by these kinds of things, and and uh, being a magician, I was very. Even though I wasn't good then, I was seven years old. But I mean, so wait, I, wait, wait. Let's start. So before this incident um, in '74 with the poltergeist, you actually had started to do magic tricks before. When you were seven, you were starting to say. Yeah, yeah. I had an uh, interest in magic when I was seven, and uh, started uh, uh, doing it as a as a young boy, and. Um, and this happened when I was uh, 10 years old, Lindley Street. Okay. So, so really, you know, you already had somewhat of, a, of an interest in, I guess, from these television shows and so on, an interest in unexplained phenomena. Yeah, well, of course, doing magic, I'm talking about, you know, tricks as a, a magician, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, I was always curious and interested in these kinds of things, as I think many children were, and especially since there were those very, uh, in the 70s, those very, very popular shows on about it. Of course, there are now, too, as you see, it comes around. But um, So I was fascinated by it. At, at the time when I saw it, uh, I I did what many children did is I looked to to my parents and you know I asked my dad you know you know what well, dad is this real and well wait wait know, wait wait you're kind of assuming that we know what that everyone listening knows what the uh, poltergeist on Lindley Street was so start from that's why I said start the day before this happened I mean what had you noticed this house before like wh- before it came into national attention I mean what did you know the no, people? No, no. I mean, I saw it when I was 10 years old, so I just saw it when it hit the... So what did uh, you see? What was the first thing that you saw? I, I saw it on TV. Saw as what? It hit, 
as it hit the press. But what? You're assuming we know what. We saw what on television? Uh, the coverage of the uh, of the story. But I what can't, was the story? I'm... I can't tell you what I saw. I don't remember. I was 10 years old. But, I mean, I remember it was on the news uh, about uh, the Lindley Street haunting. But, but what you know, were they I, showing? I mean, what was what, what were they saying? What were they showing? Apparently, there were thousands of people who came to look at it. I don't have. Yeah, a, a I was ten years old. I couldn't re- tell you or remember but, exactly what I saw at all uh, at that time. But now that you've you've done research and you've written a book about it, so surely you've gone back and seen pictures and read newspaper articles and oh, so yes. on. I thought I thought you wanted my recollections when I was ten because well, I couldn't yes, tell you what ideally, I saw. Well, yes, ideally, but yes, no? ideally, but I mean, I, I I need you to explain what it is that you're talking about. Okay. Uh, well, I could start with uh, this. As far as what hit the press was that uh, the uh, police had arrived on a call of uh, mysterious happenings. It was actually uh, a neighbor police officer who had called in because the family wanted uh, help. And we can, go, of course, go into more detail as far as what happened, but just tr- try to give you a kind of a, you know, an overview of the public view of it. And um, uh, backup police officers arrived, and, and uh, they saw all this phenomena in the house. Uh, they saw chairs opening and closing. They saw um, uh, crosses uh, uh, and other objects fly off the wall. Uh, tables turn over, refrigerator floating, uh, just bizarre things they were seeing in every room of this very, very tiny house. It was a little bungalow in the middle of the city, uh, 738 square feet, so a very, very tiny home. And they saw this phenomenon, didn't know what to do, so they called the fire department, and 10 firemen showed up and two chiefs, and they went and checked the house out and said, well, you know, the house is fine, we don't know you know, we're not very good at chasing devils. We don't know what to do with this. And they ended up calling the uh, the chaplain for the fire department. And, you know, he showed up and said, oh, there's, you know, there's something in here. And, uh, and as this happened, of course, word starts getting out. You have all these uh, emergency vehicles outside. You have neighbors. You have police officers coming out. And, uh, and so the, as news spreads, eventually uh, later on the day, the TV gets hold of it and then Associated Press and a crowd is forming and uh, literally there's about 2,000 people outside the house as the mystery continues and, and uh, uh, authorities really kind of don't know what to do with it. And, you know, of course, with the media moving in now, it becomes a real uh, issue for the city, you know, with police dogs and paddy wagons and, and things like that. And that was really the very first public, you know, explosion of this event from the, you know, the eyes of the public. So before you continue, what, and I understand that most of this is from your later research, of course, tell oh, yeah. us about the family. Who lived in that house before all this started happening or when all this started happening? Yeah, sure. It was uh, Jerry Gooden, and when this uh, when uh, when this occurred in November '74, they were uh, they were middle aged. Jerry Gooden was a uh, maintenance man for Harvey Hubble in Bridgeport, and uh, Laura Gooden, uh, his wife, was a stay at home mom. And they had an adopted child, uh, Marcia Gooden, who hmm. was who was adopted after they lost their biological child, who died hmm. at age six. He was uh, he had he couldn't walk or talk or do anything for himself. And Marcy was, uh, she was 
very overprotected by them. She was picked on in school. She ended up being beat up at school. And this kind of tension and buildup is uh, significant uh, and very common in kind of like the poltergeist kind of scenario of uh, a preteen uh, who who has some sort of uh, trouble of some sort. We know there's a lot more to it than that because, I mean, so many of our children have drama and trauma and, you know, things like that. But uh, that was kind of the things that uh, led up to it is uh, her getting beat up at school and being stuck at home. And, uh, and about six weeks after that, it just exploded into this flurry of paranormal activity. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, so the child who they lost at age six, um, why couldn't he walk or talk? Do you know what was wrong with him? Yes, he had uh, uh, cerebral palsy. And, uh, yeah, they had, uh, you know, per, per, he might have even had some other uh, problems. I, a lot of it, it looks from the family's description that uh, there was some things that they... Some things that what? That the doctors couldn't really figure out. And, uh, uh-huh. And did he die in the home? No, he was in the hospital for about a month, and he died in the hospital. Hmm. Well, I think we're that's do 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 do. We have to have sound effects. Do 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 do. We actually we're having sound effects. We're hearing the music that we need to take a break. But we will be right back uh, with more of the story. My guest is William Hall. He's the author of a new book called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Haunted by a Haunted House, 
That's my guest, Bill Hall. He has been haunted by this haunted house that occurred in his backyard when he was 10 years old, living in Bridgeport, Connecticut. His new book is called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. Before the break, we were talking about the family who lived in this bungalow uh, where everything exploded. And um, so this boy um, who died, um, died in the hospital, you said, after about a month, but when he was alive, did he spend did he did he spend most of his time at home? I mean, was he able to go to school and so on, or or was he pretty much homebound? Uh, he was pretty much homebound. I mean, they of course uh, they took him out and whatnot, but uh, uh, he really couldn't walk or talk or do much of anything for himself. They tried to give him as wide a world as possible, and Laura had a actual metal brace to you know to carry him around and. Um, so it was, yeah, he was a definitely a special needs child and it was, it was difficult, uh, for the family, of course, uh, as these things are. And how long after he died did they adopt, um, the, the daughter? Uh, it was about, uh, about a half a year or so. And where did she, where did they adopt her from? Uh, they adopted her from, uh, it was an adoption agency in Stanford, and uh, the family was from, they adopted her from uh, a family, uh, well, I should say from the agency, but uh, she was from Ontario, Canada, and she was a Five Nations Indian, the youngest of nine children. And uh, the family was told that she was tied to a chair, uh, but we don't have a lot of information around that, you know what I mean? I mean, I, it, of course, implies abuse, and I'm not saying it's ever good to tie somebody to a chair, uh-huh. but, uh, but she's the youngest of nine children, so uh, it would be interesting to know more about the adopted you know, the, the family, but, uh, uh, but of course, with adoptions in the 70s and that sort of thing, you know, we don't have any information on the family, but uh, some people wonder if whatever happened in the house, if it followed Marcy, you know, scared, if she was abused, if it was just too much to handle. You know, we don't have a lot of context, uh, you know, with that other than, um, you know, the Goodens concluded she was treated, you know, badly by the other family, but uh, uh, we don't have a lot of information about that. So how old was she when the poltergeist, poltergeist happened? She was uh, 10 years old and going to be 11 in uh, December, so and this happened November of uh, 1974. So she was just about 11 years old. Okay, and um, so was there some thought? I know you were saying that there was some thought that um, her, perhaps her having been abused before, and then the fact that she was overprotected and then uh, picked on at school, bullied and beaten up, and so on. Um, but was there also talk, or what do you think after all your research? that maybe it had to do with the spirit of the six-year-old coming back, being jealous that his parents adopted another child? Um, that's, you know, that's one of the theories that some people um, say. I don't, personally, I don't think that's it. I mean, it, it, you know, it, who's to say for sure, obviously, but uh, that is one of uh, one of the theories put forth, uh, but I think it's probably, I think Marcy being the center of this activity is more uh, about 
her situation versus um, you know the child before, uh, because there was entities uh, involved you know in this house, and these kinds of parasites tend to uh, be attracted to uh, children more vulnerable in this kind of negative situation that kind of feed off this negative uh, power. I call them entities because you know different people think they're different things, but I, I try to label them by their behavior because that's kind of the only thing we really know or could observe for sure. What about, was there, I would imagine, there was, was marital tension between Jerry and Laura? I mean, it's always when parents either have a special needs child or, or lose a child, um, you know, when a child dies, that it's a very stressful time, obviously, and that often creates marital problems. Did they have marital problems? Uh, no, they didn't. Uh, Laura was kind of high-strung, a little neurotic. Jerry was very uh, calm and uh, calming. They had actually a very uh, great relationship, uh, and I can tell that just from listening to uh, the hours of interviews with them, including just some times when the recorder's on, but it's not really an interview. You know, you can hear... Um, you know, the way they interact and whatnot. And everybody said that they, uh, you know, that they got along well. And I think Jerry probably leaned more towards, uh, uh, you know, making Laura happy, but that's not too unusual. (laughs) Sometimes it's best for guys to do that. (laughs) So, uh, yes, especially especially when there are unexplained phenomena around. Um, Oh, my, yeah. That's a whole different story then, yeah. Um, so when you so how when was it that you started doing that you decided to write a book about this and um, and what made you do it? Well, uh, I was having my morning coffee and saw a post on Facebook, one of the community pages, uh, and it's since I grew up in Bridgeport, I was a member of the you know the Bridgeport community pages. And it said, does anybody remember the haunted house on Lindley Street? And it occurred to me, I never really looked into that. As I looked into a lot of this other things, you know, since my curiosity remained or grew. uh, But I never really looked into Lindley Street. So I started uh, going online and accessing the newspaper uh, reporting of the event and uh, just saw all the police officers and priests and neighbors and reporters and onlooker. There were just so many witnesses that I felt no matter what happened there, it was a story that definitely was worth looking into. And so I started writing down the name of everybody, everybody's names that was mentioned in the paper. And I ended up uh, talking to one of the police, right, retired police officers. And, um, and he mentioned uh, an investigation at the police department where he was forced to participate in. Uh, by the police, uh, and this was after they announced it as being a hoax. Uh, they even set up a conference room, and I ended up getting in touch with the lead investigator who did uh, the investigating, paranormal investigator, and that was Boyce Beatty, uh, now 81, retired, living in the same town as he was in 74, so he was pretty easy to find. And I called him up and said, uh, you know, what about all these interviews? Do you have uh, access to them? And he said, uh, yes, I do. I think so. He said, they're in a box in my basement. <laughs> so uh, so that really was the breakthrough, is he gave me 22 cassettes filled with uh, interviews from witnesses and a eight-hour reel-to-reel 
uh, that actually was uh, from the uh, Bridgeport Police Department uh, pl- police officer interviews. So having uh, some 30 hours of interviews, uh, that was the beginning of realizing that there was a very important, very true story to tell, and uh, that's how it came about. Because you didn't believe that it was a hoax. They had decided that it was a hoax, but that was at a time, I guess, when, when less was known about these kinds of things. Well, just judging by what the people said they saw in the paper and then later saying, oh, Marcy did it all, it didn't make sense that she would have the ability to uh, to fool a house full of police officers and firefighters and, you know, how could she make a refrigerator float? And, you know, it's just it, it just didn't make sense. Uh, but again, I had more questions than answers, so that's why I looked into it further. But once I had listened to about 20 hours of the tapes, it was... It was uh, very, very clear. We had a very uh, sad and, and serious uh, true story. So when the police uh, cl- closed the inves- investigation and decided it was a hoax, they were, their conclusion was that this little girl was creating all of the different things that went on. Uh, that's what was announced to the public. What's interesting is the very same, uh, the captain and the inspector and the superintendent, uh, the three that really announced to the press uh, that this was a hoax, it was uh, Captain Fabrizi, Superintendent Walsh, and Inspector Clark that were the very people who authorized and mandated that the police be interviewed by the paranormal investigators to help the family. This was after it was all over. So uh, they definitely knew it was real, but they had, they had to get rid of the crowds. Even after they barricaded the street, uh, the traffic was blocked up. Uh, there was officers always had to be on duty there. It was, it was really a dangerous situation. I mean, three guys even tried to burn the house down while the family was in it. So, uh, huh. very, you, you mean well, three, three strangers, people who were just frightened about the whole thing? Yes, yes. And I mean, you being a psychiatrist, you know how <laughs> a crowd can get. It's yeah. Just, and not all of them were that way, of course. Some were out there praying and, you know, supporting the family. But, uh, you know, there, there were, it was, it was bad. You know, there was arrest and, and, uh, and it was a, a, a pretty much a circus. And, well, how uh, as, long did this go on? Uh, you know, the actual height of it didn't, you know, they shut it down pretty quick because it, it started on uh, Sunday and uh, Sunday and Monday were two days of horrific activity and also very public. And then Tuesday morning is when it was announced uh, as, a, uh, as a hoax. But, okay, but if there were really paranormal phenomena in there, they wouldn't have cared, the spirits or whatever entities um, wouldn't have cared what the police were saying, that it was a hoax or not. I mean, did the, did the actual activity stop? No, 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 no. I, I see where you're going. No. Uh, to, uh, what I meant was the public view of it. So they announced it a hoax on Tuesday. So it didn't last in the public as long because uh, they announced it to be a hoax. But the phenomena did continue for the family. Uh, for how long? Uh, till early in 75, until Marcy got settled back at now a Catholic school because the parents weren't going to send her to the other school, the public school where she got beat up. And once she got settled 
and uh, and was doing well there. Then it uh, slowly dissipated. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's kind of the way poltergeists uh, work. They're relatively short-lived, um, usually a few months. Um, although what's interesting is there was mild phenomena that started back in 1968, uh, shortly after she was adopted, but it never really Seventy-four to the big level. Um. Oh, here we. Are. My goodness, the t- <laughs> this is fascinating. I, I can't believe we have to take another break, but we do. We will be back because we are still haunted by a haunted house, as perhaps you are by this story. I, you know, I must say, as a psychiatrist, I, the connection to this. To the girls, particularly now, it's so interesting where we we are so much about bullying and so on is in the news. Um, it's it's just uh, fascinating that all of these psychological phenomena could be connected to uh, the paranormal phenomena. We will be back. My guest uh, is William Hall. His book is called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Haunted by a Haunted House. That's my guest, Bill Hall, the author of the new book, The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street in Connecticut. Um, I think, Bill, that we're having uh, poltergeists, we're attracting poltergeists (laughs) to this uh, show today. I had said at the beginning of the show, it comes from the word polten, to make sound and to rumble, and geist meaning ghost and spirit, poltergeist does. Noisy ghost, rumble ghost, we've been attracting that to the uh, show today with a little bit of static, but if that (laughs) poltergeist go away... We will uh, stop if that happens again and, and reconnect um, in a minute or so. We connect the line. 
Um, so I wanted to also say, before we get back to the story, I want to say talk a little bit about uh, Bill Hall. Um, not only was this uh, poltergeist in his backyard and at 10 years old, how it uh, really directed the course of his life, even though, Bill, you were saying you had started doing a little magic before, but after that, um, he became a magician. He became an expert in researching unexplained phenomena. He had a newspaper column about this, and he was a former member of the Society of American Magicians Psychic Investigation Committee. So his expertise has become separating fact from illusion, and it was in this vein that he um, uh, undertook the research on the house on Lindley Street. And um, when, so, what, so what year was that when you started researching the book? Uh, it, was, it was just about two years ago. Okay, so now, were any of the family alive? Like, I, I would assume Marcy was alive, right? Uh, Marcy, yes, um, I don't, that's the only thing I don't want to talk about because I have gotten in trouble. It's kind of a spoiler alert, but uh, I do address that in the book, that both parents are deceased. Um, they died in the 90s. But I did speak to some of the, uh, some relatives, uh, some of the Gooden family and relatives, um, just about the family and, and their experience during that time. Um, and, and, you know, that was a challenge. There was a lot of, uh, it was great that these recordings existed because a lot of those witnesses, of course, are no longer with us. Uh, but many of the children and family members are. So it's fascinating to hear about what they heard when, you know, their mother or father got home from work and, you know, was dealing with this either at the police force or fire department or uh, with somebody in the family or a neighbor. Uh, so it just affected so many people in the community. So what were um, so in so in your book? I, I presume that the um, you your position is that this was not a hoax and that it can be explained by these um, what um, spiritual entities. Uh, yeah, I would call them uh, entities. Um, they appeared in three different forms. Uh, witnesses include uh, police officer, priest, uh, seminary student at the time. Uh, of course, the family was there, reporter. Um, those what were, were the three forms? Themselves. As far as phenomena, the witnesses are just, I mean, over a hundred as far as that I assembled just in the book alone. but uh, And many of, probably I would say three-quarters of the police department, uh, many of the firefighters, uh, reporters who came in there thinking they were kind of outside the story and then ended up being in the middle of the story, so to speak. Uh, but, what yeah, were the I mean, three forms that the, that the entities took? I'm sorry? What were the three forms that the entities... Oh. One was uh, a, sh- a black shadowy uh, figure. Uh, another was, uh, there was four of them, and they appeared uh, like gauzy figures. They were described by the witnesses. Uh, it was equated to me as like if you hold a match in that blurry part above the flame. Hmm. Um, and then the third way was uh, a situation that I, I hear is common in possessions, which is uh, billowing smoke that actually filled the whole house, and they actually had to leave the house. Um, Wait, I think I missed one of them. One of them was the black shadowy uh, figures, four black shadowy figures. 
uh, one black shadowy figure, four gauzy-like figures. Oh, oh okay. Sorry, which is like the uh, like a match where you see the blurriness above it, you know. And then uh, the third way is uh, the um, the gauzy uh, things. It started billowing smoke, like an orangey smoke, and it filled the house, and they had to actually leave the house. Yeah, um, I was going to say how. Uh, where did the what did the family do when this started happening? How, how long? Where did they go? And how long did they have to be out of the house? Um, well, you know, it was a whole new normal. Like when it very first began, uh, the police officer neighbor that they knew, who they were friends with, he stayed over the house because they didn't want to be alone. Uh, and then the next day, there was police in there virtually the whole day. So there was police and firefighters. There was people going in and out the house all day. So, I mean, they remained there. Uh, there were times where they uh, stayed with family. Uh, there were a few times, depending on how bad the activity was, where they would stay at home, but they would send Marcy to go stay with family, uh, you know, not wanting her to be around it. So they, you know, they had a mix. But their new normal was to have a, you know, a night bag ready at all times. Uh, Jerry would always be the one to go in the house first if they went out just to see, you know, things knocked over, is there anything, uh, you know, changed, that sort of thing. And uh, it actually got to the point where Jerry wired all the furniture to the wall and they ended up packing a lot of things up because, you know, they wanted to move and sell the house. Um, so it, it was very interesting, the whole progression of, you know, how they handled it and, and managed it. And, you know, they tried not to bother family too much, but they were very often over the aunt's house. And, you know, the phone call would go, you know, it's happened. Jerry and Laura, they're coming back over. It's happening again, you know. So uh, so there was a whole mixture of ways. Sometimes people would stay with them, but a lot of times they left and uh, and especially having Marcy, uh, you know, be outside the home. Well, when she was outside the home, did these phenomena still happen, or was it only when she was there? No, it happened when she was outside the home. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the poltergeist uh, theories uh, that say, you know, psychokinetic uh, yeah. uh, from the child subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, there were plenty of phenomena that happened when Marcy was not in the house. In fact, there were other houses that were affected. At the same time that this exploded for the Gooden family, there was, uh, we know now, at least three other houses uh, on that street had uh, paranormal phenomena. Not of the exact same type, but uh, had problems at the same time. Because uh, when these doors are you know, whatever you want to call them, dimensions, doors, worlds, you know, with portals. When when something like that's open and things come through, uh, usually it's more than one house uh, impacted with this kind of phenomena. Uh, back then, we, we really didn't think to look to other houses, but today uh, paranormal investigators look more uh, to see what other phenomena is around and what other houses might be impacted. So there was uh, uh, three that we know of. There may have been more you know, for all we know, but three at least that could be verified. So, And how many, how much longer did they live in that house after this started? Well, they ended up, uh, you know, after it stopped in 75, and they tried to sell the house and couldn't. And uh, so Jerry painted the house, and he got rid of uh, these swan planters, which, uh, which people outside the house actually saw move by themselves. And mm-hmm. So he got rid of them because they were kind of an iconic landmark and, you know, trying to make the house 
fit in more so people wouldn't come and <laughs> it and stuff. But what happened was he painted it all and everything, and then uh, it appeared in the newspaper, New Look on Lindley Street. So, <laughs> so there goes that attempt, you know. But they decided to stay in the house. They didn't want to, uh, but they couldn't sell it, and the phenomena had stopped. So, you know, they figured, okay, well, you know, we'll stay. <clears throat> what Jerry had expressed is, uh, you know, I don't care if it stopped or not. I want to get out of here because... Yeah. It may start up again, number one. And number two, the biggest thing was the people. He said, well, I can't live here. I can't work here. I mean, people were slashing their tires, uh, pulling huh. their clothes off the laundry, you know, throwing rocks at the window. You know, people really? Just, oh, yeah, he was being harassed at work. It was, it was just, uh, so he wanted to get out of town, you know, regardless of the phenomena. He wanted to get the heck out so that yeah. Mars better place to, you know, to grow up and yeah. stuff. But uh, they weren't able to sell the house. And part of that, I think, is because, I mean, it's such a tiny, tiny house. And the price that uh, you wanted for it, Amy wanted $31,000 for a 738-square-foot home. That was back in 1975. Um, but, you know, Jerry put a lot of money into that house. You know, he put about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 into the house. And, you know... Uh, and I would either. think that at that point, you know... <laughs> He'd keep lowering the price until he finally got a buyer. Well, they had they had a lot of loans and they didn't have much money. He was a he was a maintenance man, and then on top of it, all their personal property was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they lost practically. I don't know it was probably six seven thousand dollars worth of personal property was destroyed. So, what is this? After they died, um, they, so they died while they were still living in the house. I mean, I don't mean that they died in the house, but I mean. When they right, died, right. they were still living in the house. Right. And so what is the, who owns the house today? I mean, what happened to the house? In the year 2000, uh, the house was bought. I'm told it was bought by um, a brother and sister for their uh, aging mother uh, who lives there and doesn't speak English and you know doesn't know the history of the house. And, uh, and, and what? And, and, and when... When people take pictures, uh, she thinks that they want to, uh, you know, to break into her house and, and rob her. So, huh? And, uh, yeah. So I, I tried to explain to the neighbors so that uh, uh, he could put her a little bit at ease. Huh? What? <laughs> uh, you would think that her children would explain that to her. <laughs> I guess, uh, from what I'm told, they didn't know the history either. Oh, I tried to get- oh, huh? But they don't return my calls or my letters or, you know, so. Huh. Well, that's very interesting. All right. Well, we need to take another break. My guest again is William Hall. His book is called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. We will be back with more Haunted by a Haunted House. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, uh, having some <laughs> Halloween fun with you, fun comparatively to compared to the actual news headlines. We're talking about the world's most haunted house, the true story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street, which is the new book by William Hall, my guest today. Um, you may find today's show scary, um, but it isn't contagious. Um, not, not as scary as Ebola. Um, it's, you know, that's, uh, I found, I, I mean, I, of course, um, paranormal phenomena are, are very interesting and so on, but I find most interesting um, the stories of the people who lived in, in this house and who live in, you know, in these other kinds of places where there are poltergeists or other kinds of unexplained phenomena because, um, you know, to see how, um, what the connection could be between the two worlds, the uh, psychological world and the, and the psychic phenomenon uh, world. Uh, and I think that, you know, between the son having died and, and not being able to talk or walk and being more or less housebound, and then this adopted daughter um, having probably been abused from what you, how you described it in, Can- in Canada, being in a, a Canadian Indian coming to Connecticut and with this history of abuse and so on, and um, and then being overprotected, beaten up in school, being a, a bully target, and I mean it's it's and I I would think I was asking Bill um, during the break <laughs> he doesn't want to give the to- the total um, um, what the total ending away about what happened to Marcy, but I was saying that um, any child who has grown up in a situation that you have told us about so far, and I know, of course, you haven't, you know, in this short time, you're not able to give all the details that I'm sure are in the book, but, um, but, but just from what, from what you've said so far, um, you know, she was 10 or 11 when this poltergeist happened, and it, it you know, the, the after effects continued on, even though um, perhaps the most dramatic 
um, flying around or, you know, uh, black shadows, gauzy, sh- gaudy, gauzy figures, billowing smoke and all that might have disappeared. But certainly the memory of all these things and the memory of all these strangers surrounding their house and threatening to burn it down and doing what you were saying about sl- slitting the tires and all of that. I mean, even if there hadn't been a poltergeist, just right. the, the reaction of the people would be enough to terrorize a child. Yes. Uh, and, you know, some poltergeist children in my research, um, are they don't have the kind of situation that Marcy had, and you can envision them Yes, being, you know, being impacted by it, but not necessarily being, uh, I, I guess you'd say, psychologically off or whatever. But you can see from the profile so far what Marcy's going through and just, you know, being inhibited and adopted and, you know, all the rest that you just went over. Uh, it's, you know, it makes you wonder exactly what kind of... Uh, um, you know, adult that uh, she would be, you know. Well, I mean, I see it. I mean, yes, that's right. Starting off already being vulnerable from the childhood that she had before she became adopted and being I... adopted, which has its own challenges, and then all of this happening, um, my, I would envision that she would have ended up in um, the California, uh, California, Connecticut, Connecticut Valley Mental Hospital which is where I spent about a month during my sub-internship training <laughs> at the time. And that was a state a mental hospital, you know, for people who were pretty severely mentally ill. And that's kind of where I see her having um, ultimately ended up. Um, and if she didn't, then the parenting skills of Laura and Jerry must have been phenomenal. That is the phenomenon (laughs) that is the most amazing of all of this. If they were able to nurture her and take care of her and and make it so that she didn't end up in a state mental hospital, uh, that's at least as amazing as the poltergeist. Yeah, I mean, uh, from people who went to school with her at St. Patrick's and from uh, all the research I did, it appeared that she was uh, happy and much better adjusted after all this and switching schools. But, uh, I mean, I agree with you. I, you know, and, and the family didn't talk after that. They gave one last interview in 1975 with, to basically get across two points. Number one, we're not crazy. And number two, Marcy didn't do it. You know what I mean? Um. And after that they didn't talk for the rest of their lives i mean they just didn't want to do any interviews they didn't want they never wanted it to be public but of course it just became i mean they never even called they didn't call anybody i mean they called their friends and the friends called the police and of course the their friend across the street who was an officer called for backup so they actually never made any of the mm. uh, any phone calls to authorities or, huh. or the, you know they didn't call any press in fact they even hired an attorney for a very short period of time, because they didn't have a lot of money, but to, to help address the privacy issues. And uh, he wanted, uh, I talked to him, he was a young, hungry attorney and had all ideas of how they can make money off of these yeah. interviews. And uh, they refused to make money off of anything. Instead, they went uh, behind his back and went on uh, a radio interview for free uh, to try to clear Marcy's name and, hmm. you know, to tell everybody we're not crazy and it's the last time they talked and after that they remained silent for the rest of their lives on it. That's really interesting. You know, um, I could see where um, the fact that to the extent that Marcy didn't have any outwardly psychotic signs that ended her in a 
up in a state mental hospital, I could see some people actually interpreting that as her having been the root of it. That's why she was unscathed. Well, you know, a lot of the public um, didn't believe it was a hoax. I think it comes down to the the person's um, belief beforehand. You know, people who don't believe in the paranormal often don't look for data. It's it's basically mm-hmm. a don't bother me with the facts. My mind's made up. So it was very easy to sell the hoax story. Nobody had to go back and say, well, what about these police officers that saw a refrigerator float? Mm-hmm. Marcy wasn't there. What, you know, how did that happen? Nobody questions those things because if you don't believe in it, you move on because you thought it was a hoax all along and you didn't care about the details. Well, and if well, you I, thought it was real, well, then you don't believe the hoax story. But what the hoax story did do is successfully get rid of uh, the crowd and mm-hmm. help bring some normalcy back to the city uh, as far as, you know, the police uh, patrols and, and things like that. Well, but, what, uh, what I meant was I, I didn't necessarily mean that then they would think she would be responsible and it was a ho- hoax that she was left unscathed, but rather from a spiritual kind of point of view. I'm not saying that it was a hoax. I'm saying that if, let's just, maybe I've watched a few too many scary movies, but... Um, <laughs> But if she had some, if she was connected in some way to oh. the paranormal phenomena, then that could be an explanation that perhaps some people would have offered um, as to why she was relatively unscathed to the point of not ending up in a hospital for the rest of her life. Do you see what I'm saying? Not that it was a fake. No, I I see what you're saying now. I completely agree. The one thing that we do know about these entities, no matter what people believe they are, there's all different theories and whatnot, but everyone does believe that there's some sort of, uh, there's definitely, you know, Marcy was the center of it, just as these children are in these poltergeist cases. But in this case, you know, when there's entities involved like this, there is some sort of negative kind of relationship almost between them that they kind of, uh, you know, it's not like an evil doing on Marcy's part, but like from what you said, it's some sort of a a negative relationship where each one of them gets something out of it, Mm. uh, even though it's kind of an unhealthy relationship from, you know, Marcy's point of view. But but they do find that, and and I do think that that's why the, the children... Uh, in these cases are not uh, impacted quite as worse as maybe uh-huh. they would. No. That's really I, that's fascinating. Where you were, and I do believe that uh, that that is part of it. That That's really, really fascinating. Well, we only have two minutes left. In that time, why don't you tell people, um, give them your website and tell people where you would like them to buy the book. Oh, sure. Uh, my website is worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. And uh, that also has the events where I am and all places uh, to purchase the book and uh, also some free things for listeners you can get there. So hope you visit it and hope you uh, like it. And that's worldsmosthauntedhouse.com. Well, I, I, I must say this has been really fascinating. You know, it's not as, um, I mean, people have to get really deep into it, you know, to to kind of understand and appreciate all these different aspects of it as we were as we were beginning to do today. Um uh I mean of course I know the book has a lot more details and so on, but I think especially what you were talking about at the end, that that phenomenon, uh the connection between um the children or who you know, who would be at the center of it like Marcy and and um the entities. 
Um, I think that's just fascinating. So, um, again, the the website is World's Most hauntedhouse.com. Of course, you can also buy the book wherever books are sold. Bill, I wish you all the best. I know this is a very um, busy time for you, <laughs> Halloween, yeah. but um, and I, I, I think the whole story is fascinating. It's great that you went back and actually uh, took a look at it from, a, from an adult perspective and uncovered some of these things that would have remained in that uh, police officer's basement <laughs> otherwise. So thank you. Again, oh, the book is... Thank you. The book is called The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street. Well, thank you, Bill Hall, and thank you all for listening, and I wish you a very happy Halloween. Uh, hope I <laughs> hope we've given you some fun things to be scared about, and, uh, and stay uh, tune in again next week at the usual time. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.